morning, and welcome to HR Tech Weekly with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. Hi, Stacey. How are you? Hi, John. I'm doing well. I am at home, surprisingly, right? <laughs> and you as well, right? <laughs> we're yeah, yeah, we're joining is... from our sunny offices in the, in, in, at home today, right? <laughs> well, except you and I were both in Pleasanton, California, just a second ago. You know, so the nice thing about being at home is that you can be everywhere. We were just sitting in the Workday's Analyst Town Hall, which was an interesting yeah. conversation. Yeah. So what else is going on with you before we dive a little bit into Workday? What's going on in your world? Well, it's been a couple of busy weeks for those of you who know my role at running the annual HR system survey. Uh, we are soft launching it this week, so you might start to see some emails and, and information coming out about that. So that's made for a busy week. Like we talked about in the last radio show, we were we were trying to make decisions of whether or not we should go out this year and, and decided after talking to lots lots of people that data is going to be really important for the decisions we're all going to be making through the summer and the fall. And so the more data we can capture, the better. And so that's hopefully our ability to help a little bit in that process. We were also seeing that there's a lot of conversation going on in the HR tech space, particularly this week, I think, with these things have sort of picked up a little bit. So not only did we have the Workday Innovation Summit this week, which is sort of split up into a couple of different meetings and we'll do a little update on, but there's also some big announcements this week coming out of SAP where their co-CEO structure was kiboshed. And they've had a co-CEO structure for a long time. As uh, so this SAP co-chief executive officer, Christian Klein, uh, will continue as CEO, but Jennifer Morgan will depart. And there's a lot of commentary about that, I think, worth some conversation. Cornerstone completed their acquisition of Saba Software. I think some people were wondering if that was going to continue on with the current state of the market right now. We're still seeing money being raised in the market. Guru raised $30 million. We saw they're a collaborative knowledge management software, as well as the uh, conversational AI platform Yellow, which I think you've uh, followed up on them before, raising $20 million and a new European veteran from GitLab, and I think it's on Babel, I'm saying correctly, a group of people who created a company called Remote, and they secured $11 million. So lots going on there. Alexander Mann unveiled a brand new conversational hiring experience for hourly workers. ADP is staying extremely busy with employer preparedness toolkits and tools to help submit PPE loans and work market and volunteer healthcare workers. And Google launched a Beyond Corp remote access for virtual workers, getting rid of the VPN, which is an interesting conversation that HR is more involved in than you would think. And then last but by no means least, the UK suspended pay data reporting amid COVID-19 concerns. So all of that wonderful work we made on diversity and inclusion and engagement, the UK is suspending requirements to show that you have paid both your female and male workers at a same level. So it's been a busy week, even though we've all been in our homes for the last month and a half, John. And how about you? Any new updates in, inside of your office there in the Bay Area? Well, you know, I've been out and about, and I had I had a chance to spend time in a room with a bunch of CHROs, and I think the thing that I took away from that is this disruption that we're experiencing, a discontinuity, I've heard it called. This discontinuity is not hitting everybody the same way everywhere, and so the consequences of this are range from going out of business to explosive growth. And so it challenges conventional thinking about how to message HR technology products. Right? Most, most of the time, the history has been that, that if you are 
a marketing team behind an HR technology product. What you want to do is get the one messaging and positioning package together so that you could have your sales force say the same thing to everybody. And it turns out that the utility of many of the solutions that are out in the market varies wildly with the circumstances of the customer. And when they are struggling for survival, it's a different message than if they are dealing with logarithmic growth that happens because of the need to hire huge quantities of people in a short amount of time. And so I think things are changing in some really interesting ways that are leaving a lot of the traditional incumbents a little puzzled about how to proceed. I'd say puzzled is a good word to use. Yeah, I mean, even those who have, I would say, some of the most sophisticated marketing machines in our space, be it the large SAPs and Oracles and Workdays, and then those who have, who I think have built uh, quite a, a backbone on on sort of their marketing messaging, like Namely's and, and ADP's and Paychecks, have done really good jobs of, of most recently positioning who they are. Every one of them is having to come at this from a very different way. And so I think, I think puzzling is, is a very good word to use, yeah. Yeah, so I'd say that what one might have thought you'd do is you go from whatever the message was before to whatever the message is after. And what's happening instead, you move from whatever the message was before to a multiplicity of messages afterwards. And that requires a kind of marketing agility that we didn't learn about when everything was constant growth for a decade or so. And so it's fascinating to watch how people respond to that. And we're starting to begin to see the changes in the message. But it's like everything that's changing right now. When you when you talk to people about the change, there's this nagging thing underneath it that's the hope that things will return to the way they used to be. And I think that affects a lot of the things that we're seeing right now. Well, I mean, we definitely saw with the Workday Innovation Summit this week, I think that played out on News Europe full screen. On Tuesday, they sort of did a, a very scripted but very clear perspective of their total market capabilities, how big it was, looking like a $103 billion, you know, sort of market that they can sell into, the total addressable market that they can sell into between their HCM payroll projects, financials, analytics, planning, and procurement um, applications that their big focus on clients right now is the CHRO, the chief financial officer, and now the chief procurement officer because of their acquisition of Scout, that their big messaging is around a unified product with a underpinning of analytics and machine learning. But at the same time, they were trying to morph in there what I think is a necessary message that they are an application that will fit the needs of a changing work environment. And partially because they are on both spectrums of clients, right? They've got clients as big as Walmart and grow as rapidly and quickly as Walmart that's doing as much work as you would probably do in your, you know, uh, lead up to the December holidays timeframe. And then they've got customers at a much smaller scale and a much more in the healthcare space or in the retail space that is struggling and uh, challenged right now. And they've got to figure out how to message a moderate tone for both of them, right? And I think we definitely yeah, saw that. Yeah, the thing that I heard that really caught my attention was the CEO of Workday made a distinction about not being a software company, but being a service provider, right? And what you're getting at is the difference between being a software company and a service provider is that is that service providers are more responsive to the specifics of the industries that they serve than some overarching view of what software is supposed to be. And so I thought that was interesting. I'd never heard them refer to themselves as a service provider. Yeah. 
but it fits this picture because a software company yeah. is going to give you the software and you use it however it makes sense to you. But a service provider yeah. is going to give you the tools and the resources and the consulting and adjust that technology to meet the various situations that you're in, um, which is a very different and, to be honest, a much more expensive approach to managing technology in this day and age. Yep. Yep. And so I learned a lot this morning about Workday. I, I wasn't as big a fan of the hour-long commercial. It had a lot of interesting information about customer projects. But this morning was real people talking to real people about stuff, and that was better. The thing that I noticed this morning was they're currently claiming to have 25 discrete production features that utilize machine learning in their talent optimization tool set. That's a lot. That's a whole lot. I would I would love to get under the hood and see what those 25 are and how they work. But that's a significant push forward in machine learning that they just sort of tossed off as if, oh, yeah, everybody's doing this kind of thing. And, and it's really a remarkable accomplishment. And I think that was just in their ta talent optimization area where they had additional, there may have been another handful or so that in there were in their financial and planning areas as well. But the talent optimization one was heavily tied to the work they've been doing in skills and machine learning updated skills. This is something that they invested in about four years ago and heavily made a play on that this was going to fundamentally be the foundation, I think, of their talent and HR machine learning conversation. Do you feel like that's starting to come through, that they're starting to actually make some headway with, with that idea about skills being a differentiator for them? There are a bunch of puzzles about how machine learning works going forward. And the puzzles have to do with the fact that sort of everything we knew yesterday is wrong. It's not quite that. It's not quite that. But there's a degree to which uh, there are a whole ton of assumptions about what matters that are not go-forward ideas. And so it'll be, I'm going to really be curious about how they adjust the story to account for the fact that you can't make predictions based on yesterday with today's information and that that's what machine learning is all about. I think the oh. other thing that we heard in this conversation was that machine learning is a foundational element along with their sort of unified, a, a, a single visual of planning and analytics all on the same page, right? And they mentioned that multiple times. But I also heard a lot more mentions this time around than I have in the past for them around industries. Now, they always have like an industry conversation, but this time we definitely heard that they were making sure they were meeting people where the industries needed them and that there were certain industries, particularly particularly in the, in the era that we're in with the COVID-19 crisis, where they had not thought about, I think, previously how much they could make a change, but we're definitely seeing it now. Areas such as healthcare benefits and management, managing healthcare inside your own corporation entity. They were also talking about uh, supply chain management, their acquisition of Scout, and how that made a big difference in supply chain management of various things needed during the COVID crisis. There was some of that also, too, that I thought was interesting that didn't have anything really to do with machine learning. It was just the ability to do to see planning and data all in the same place as well. And so sometimes the simple things, I think, make more of an impact than sometimes all the machine learning conversation as well. The only one I thought, I think, is that the thing that was nice to hear was that Anil, basically, his kind of last comments were about the COVID crisis and how they were supporting their customers and how they had done a town hall and basically were, were, were making you know, sort of 
you don't get promises, but making somewhat promises that at least for the next 90 days or so, they were not laying any of their employees off and that they were focused on taking care of their employees so their employees could take care of their customers. And that was, I think, a really positive message that's good to hear from uh, a large tech company. And I think we probably really are hoping to hear that from a lot of other large organizations because we're heading into some, some, some scary times for a lot of people. And so hearing the large companies who can weather it a little bit better than a small company, it's important for them then to support the, the sort of ecosystem that we all live in. So, so that's probably my final thoughts. How about yours? Anything else from the session that you learned that you thought we should make sure the audience hears? No, no, but I'd encourage anybody who runs these sorts of things to try to find out more about how Workday does it. It was a very effective usage of a 50-person Zoom meeting, and bravo for them. They're they're jumping out ahead and taking the lead and getting the word out. Definitely. So, what have we got in the mailbag now? Let's go. Let's go back well, to the mailbag. Well, there's a lot to unpack in the next couple of minutes. So, SAP's CEO changed kind of reverberated through the market for the last couple of days in a way that I it was sort of like, at first you were like, oh, 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 that's kind of interesting. And then who was leaving came out and then what they were doing, right? So, you know, the fact that that Jennifer Morgan, and, and they've only had this co-CEO thing for a little while. So I think it's been six months maybe that they've, they've had that in place, or at least Jennifer and Christian has been there together. They've done co-CEO for long times in the past, but I really liked Jennifer Morgan. I had seen her present a couple of times. I thought she's very thoughtful in, in her approach to things. And for me, it was sort of sad to see one of the female leaders in a, a large industry tech company like this no longer be in that kind of a role, right? Uh, and not be in the company at all. And so that was kind of sad to me. Had you heard about this at all? And do you think that this co-CEO worked effectively? And is that part of the challenge? Or do you think they were just looking at, you know, sort of circling the wagons and doing a better job of optimizing the costs right now? Oh, you know, this sounds a lot like do you watch the HBO series Succession? I do not, it's, but it sounds like I probably it's, should. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's one of the better chunks of binge-worthy TV. And it, it is the story of a company that is the product of a brilliant but now completely nutso cranky old man. And, <laughs> and the, ga- the, the games he plays, pitting members of his family off against each other as they compete to see who's going to succeed him. And it is riveting and wonderful. And it sounds like they're doing that over at SAP. The scuttlebutt is that this is a cleanup of anybody who's associated with the last person who was in the successive plan. And so, you know, what better than a big old software company to play these sorts of games with the top leadership? And how sad that this is what happens to the first woman CEO in the space. Yeah. There's nowhere in the world where six months is an adequate enough trial period for a CEO. So you have to read this as a retrenchment of the sort of male-dominated hierarchy at SAP. And, you know, in this market, that's a reputation that you don't want to have, that the company's a boys club. I think this is a bigger deal than anybody is really talking about yet. Well, and I think it goes along with the announcement that we also got out of the UK and, and you're seeing in other areas of Europe where so much of the movement towards equality, um, particularly at least on the female side, you know, not in all other areas, but at least on the female side, has been really pushed at a regulations level, at an enterprise level. And you've said this 
and it always just makes me cringe, but in a time of crisis, things like diversity and inclusion, things like our belief in equity and pay and, you know, hiring diverse flights and all that stuff tends to go away. And we kind of revert back to our old standards. You know, UK suspended their pay data reporting amid this COVID-19 crisis. I understand it's difficult, but it doesn't mean that it's not important in this day and age, right? And that just because there's so many people who are going to be out of work, that we're not going to still have to look at equality as part of the conversation. But it seems like that might go hand in hand with some of this. You know, the dreadful truth about social balancing is that it's two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. And that's been the story with women's rights. It's been the story with civil rights. And, you know, there's certainly a fairly interesting group of people in the minority communities who are giggling at the idea that there's a retrenchment (laughs) towards, towards these other things because they haven't really felt the move towards greater equality. And you can see that simply in the way that this current disease is hitting the neighborhoods that are mostly occupied yeah. by people who are less than equal in our culture. And so we got to keep pushing, right? We got we got to keep pushing and we got to keep noticing that it's not okay that what SAP did is let go of the first woman CEO without a trial period. That's just not okay. That's just not okay. And I yeah. hope it hurts them in the marketplace. At the same time, we're seeing some other organizations, I think, try and take leadership stands, at least in spaces where they can. ADP put out a long list of the things that they're doing at this point in time. And one of them is that their CEO sent a letter to leadership in our country, you know, to basically say, what can we do to ensure that the economy and the market continues to stay solvent? We also saw them put out some really interesting toolkits to help employers be prepared for the things that federal state government relief requirements are requiring of them and the Paycheck uh, Protection Program loan requests. And because there's a lot of regulations around what you have to do specifically to use those relief programs and to get the money back. They're also investing heavily in their work market technology that is um, helping volunteers who are in the healthcare space sort of figure out where they can volunteer around the country to try and manage the regions that have the hottest spots. So that's kind of nice to see the technology market stepping up up in places where they think they can make a big difference as well. You know, it's hard to see leadership changes like we just talked about, but it's also good to see them figure out what can they do to help. That's right. That's right. And, and ADP, you know, ADP as the biggest player in our market by a lot is doing remarkable work leading in this way. And so bravo ADP. Yeah, I mean, when you think about 600,000 companies, most of them small companies. And so ADP is hurting probably as much as everyone else if these companies go out of business. But it's also the fact that they run the world that we live in. And to be able to make sure that they can continue to hire and retain their employees and their customers is, is a big conversation. And definitely they're stepping into the middle of it. The other ones that we're seeing, I'm not exactly sure that this is groundbreaking, but Alexander Mann, who we don't talk a lot about, they're a recruitment process outsourcing company. They unveiled their conversational hiring tool for hourly workers. Now, seen this kind of technology used for hourly workers in different places, but Alexander Mann is definitely one of the larger recruitment process outsourcing organizations. And it seems like they're taking what they had acquired Karen HR in 2019, which is the chatbot hiring tool. And they've turned this into sort of a bigger technology thing for their organizations and their customers. 
Do you think we're going to see also more investment in these spaces where you and I have talked about as sort of a cutting edge, like chatbots and the machine learning as an investment in trying to get the economy moving as well? Things like hourly workers is, is a hard place to be right now, right? Well, the thing that's going on that's really interesting is if you are a company and your doors are open, the number of job applications that you are receiving is 200 times what it was a month ago. Yeah. Because there are, I think there are another 5 million, so it's 27 million people who lost their jobs since the start of this thing for a total of about 35 million people who are unemployed in the economy or 22 or 23%. And, you know, they're at home and they get an unemployment check and they are applying for jobs. They're applying for jobs everywhere they can think of to apply for jobs. And so you get this great big inbound stuff and the best way to handle it is with technology. And conversational technology takes a piece of it in the interaction with the candidate. And then one of the big problems in HR tech in general is that search is so badly executed that you you may have all this wonderful stuff in your system, but nobody can find it because the standard is Google quality search and none of the vendors offer something that looks like Google quality search. And so the other thing that is seeing uh, growth right now is tools that allow you to wade through those big piles of data to find the right people to hire. And so those are the bright spots in the growth landscape here is conversational tools and things that augment search so that you can more quickly find. I think Workday has a product in this area that they call their skills cloud. And I'm not clear how well it works on volume, but that's sort of what the state of the art looks like in a number of the smaller point solution things. Yeah. And is that similar to the one, the yellow messenger that received 20 million in investment? They, I I don't know if you've looked at them, but they're basically a conversational AI platform used by a hundred enterprises for customer and employee engagement. It's sort of the same type of thing, right? So what I think of, when I think of Yellow Messenger, what a bad name. What a bad name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a horribly bad name. It's really a tool for turning, you, you know, one of the big problems in communicating with employees and job applicants is that there have got to be 30 competing channels along which information moves. So if you want to if you want to talk to those people, you have to be conversant in these 30 channels. You know, it's text, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, all of the Google services, email. Yeah. And it's very, very difficult to keep track of the conversations in the specific relationship. And I think that what Yellow Messenger does is integrate those various conversations into a single thread. So it's not AI in the same way that I was describing, but it does thin out the communications channel problem. And that's probably a third area. Yeah, Um, not an unimportant issue of pulling all that stuff together. Of course, this gets back to the issue we have of language, right? Conversational AI being used in two different perspectives, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, well, you, you know, it's it's an evolving marketplace and the language is bad. And you might say it splits in two ways. One way is what Yellow does, which is facilitating conversation across platforms. And the other is what some of the others like Socrates do, which is creating an entity that understands everything so that you can have a conversation with it. 
Yeah. Right. What so one is the voice of the company as expressed in policies and data in systems. And the other is the interchange between the company and various stakeholders. Well, so you, you can imagine a, them being paired up. Yeah. I was just gonna say, those two actually sound like they probably need to be working a little more tightly together, right? <laughs> Yeah, but the problems, you know, it's really interesting because the problems are so different, right? The organization as an intelligent entity that gives people the ability to have conversations with it is closer to knowledge management, right? So how do you get an answer to the question, how much time will I be able to take off uh, when I have my baby? Right. That involves querying multiple systems. And so you, it's a complex systems integration job to do that level of knowledge management. Or there's another company that helps you understand financial regulations when you're trying to do a certain range of financial work by intelligently parsing 2,000 page policies on how to do the do the work. So that's one thing, which is understanding what the company is about. And then this is facilitating the flow of communications between people. Both important. So it's important, both important. Let's pick one more and see what we have here. The Philly startup scene is heating up with Guru and Guru is a kind of a knowledge management tool, so it's along the lines. I was going to say, it actually fits pretty well into the conversation we just had. I've had a chance to see Guru early days. I, I remember sort of doing a briefing with them, and it's a collaborative knowledge management system, right? Sort of capturing a bunch of information and, and sharing it in a different format with sort of note and places to have conversations. But it seems like they've rapidly grown, changed a little bit of what they do. And yeah, they're getting $30 million from a mixture of investors, including Excel, ACCEL, Slack, and others. And they're seen as sort of a, the hot place to be in the Philly startup scene. So yeah, I think it's the same topic you were just talking about, though, this idea of knowledge management versus knowledge sharing. Well, and what fascinates me is that this company is in the same startup universe as Phenom People, which is, for my money, the most fully articulated AI solution in the HR tech universe, yeah. built from the ground up to be AI. And the idea that there is an AI startup scene in Philadelphia just wrecks a whole bunch of assumptions that I have about Philadelphia. <laughs> um, that is correct. AI and machine learning can be done anywhere in the world, especially now in this day and age, right? <laughs> yeah. Do you think they'll call it Cheesesteak Valley? Um, <laughs> I don't know on that one. I'm not a person who spent a lot of time in Philly. I spent a little bit. They weren't too far from my hometown in Cleveland. A lot of similarities to our Clevelandites. Very practical people. That was the one thing that I felt of the two of them, right? So, yes, maybe they might call it Philly cheese ice or whatever, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, just to clear things up, I am informed in a text right now that nobody who's actually from Philadelphia eats cheesesteaks. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Instant feedback for you, John. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's that's the, the day that we live in. So yes. another great conversation. It was fun. It was fun to be at the work day. It was fun to be yeah. in Pleasanton with you while still sitting at my desk. Yeah, and definitely. Thanks for doing this, Stacey. It's always a wonderful conversation. And thanks everybody yeah. for tuning in. We thanks, will everyone. see you back Have here week. next week, same time. Bye bye now. Yeah.